1: The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com.
0: You know, uh, hi, happy Monday, everybody. I gotta tell you about that that intro. Uh, our pal Boca Britt uh, Brittany Summers produced that some years ago when I had a little kerfuffle with some people about intersectionality. You see, I wasn't sure what it meant. You know, back we're talking five six years ago now, and um, I, I I was not at the cutting edge of intersectionality and uh, because I'm not I'm not in academia and I'm not you know part of the very serious people who um, comment on these things on television or anything you know I do it here but I learned I learned all about it and um, now how funny is it not funny haha but funny um, ew that it's now five years later hopefully we all know what intersectionality is. And it's basically that no man or woman is an island. You know, yes, I am a woman. That's me. But I'm also, I'm a white woman. And I'm Jewish. And I, you know, so, you know, I intersect with other segments of the population. My daughter is adopted. So the adoption community is part of my intersectionality. She's Asian. She comes from Kazakhstan. So, you know, that's what intersectionality is. But I I came across a clip, of course I did, of the governor of this state, who, by the way, is never here in Florida. He's too busy um, uh, touring around the country raising money for the presidential bid that he's not mounting. Right. Yeah, because he's not running for president. No. Um, Anyway, so Ron DeSantis, there was a clip he was interviewed by someone because he's got a new book out. Yeah, please. Um, And he he went on and on about you know we can't have our kids indoctrinated and then and that African American studies the College Board wanted to include intersectionality. Well, yeah. It's a, it is, Um. it is something that we should talk about because we are all, we all intersect other segments of society. None of us are just one thing. And that's just one aspect of it. Again, that's not, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a, you know, I, I, I just try to talk about things that matter, but I find it um, curious that he is such a. Fucking bigot. Oh, my God. On so many fronts. Um, uh, so there's so many different ways we can go. But I'll tell you, we we have a guest today. Now, uh, today is Monday. On Friday of last week, um, what did... Oh, Friday was the anniversary of the invasion of of uh, Ukraine by Russia. And so that's the direction we went in. But on Friday, earlier in the day, I had recorded an interview that, um, that I was planning... To run on Friday, but you know what? It was more important to talk Ukraine, and we spoke with um, uh, uh, Phil Eitner, Itner, 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 um, and it, and it was an important show. So there's that. But today, that that interview uh, is also important, and it's important to hear it today, um, and for good reason. So on Friday, one of the things that I did talk about that didn't have to do with the war was the fact that our so-called news media was airing for the second day in a row murder trial porn. So there was this murder trial, uh, a murder in South Carolina. Now, I guess if you live in South Carolina, this was an important story for you because the guy who's accused of murder, whose last name is coincidentally Murdoch, although it's spelled differently than the uh, Fox Murdoch's. Um, uh, he was a lawyer down there in in South Carolina, or up there, as the case may be. And um, he was. His family has it comes from a long line of not only uh, lawyers but public officials. He was a solicitor. I don't know if that means like a DA or something, but you know. And and what we learned or what people who followed this trial learned is that this family, although they had a history of um, jobs in the public realm, I was going to say public service, they, they weren't really serving the public. They were serving themselves. They were guilty of scamming all kinds of money. And, you know, uh, they were bad people. So, um, and apparently one day, a few years ago, The wife and son, younger son of this man who was on trial for murder, um, were murdered. Somebody shot them in the kennel with a revolver. Um, Sorry, I I get all cluey. But anyway, so, you know, I've been hearing little bits and pieces about this murder trial, but it's a murder trial. You know what? There have got to be... At least, and I'm pulling a number out of thin air, and I could be way off base, but I guess there's at least 50 or 100 murder trials going on around the country at any given time because we are a gun country. People have guns, and they shoot and kill people, and we don't hear about most of them. So, um, And we learned that the wife's name was, oh, I forget what it was, but he had, he had these cutesy nicknames for them, Um I don't know. It was just annoying. So instead of any news, and let's see, Friday, was there any news worth covering? Well, you know, one year since uh, Putin invaded Russia, um, uh, tons. and, And you'll hear this hour how many potential stories there were that the media could have been covering. But instead, they went for about eight hours on Thursday, because the, the alleged murderer, the accused murderer, took the stand. And I guess that was a surprise. Well, I'll tell you what else was a surprise. Preempting the news. Not that I sit glued to the TV all day. But, you know, when I take a break from my work in here and I go inside to have lunch, I turn on the TV to see what's happening on the news. And I'm seeing this murder trial and this sniveling piece of shit who who we know bilked people out of millions of dollars. And now he's accused of murdering his wife and son. I don't care about these people. Do you? I really wanted to see what was happening in the world. Anyway, that didn't happen. So I was on a bit of a roll. And it turned out I had an interview scheduled to record with the director and associate director of Project Censored. Now, you know about Project Censored, don't you? If you don't, well, you should. Go to ProjectCensored.org. They're kind of a media watchdog group. What they do is they keep running lists of the actual news stories that just don't get covered by the media. Now, we've got issues with the media. Uh, Before you know, before the former guy was elected and started calling fake news, uh, I used to call Fox fake news because guess what? They are. Um, And I used to bitch when the media didn't cover stories that should be covered. I had criticism of the media, but it didn't mean that I poo-pooed their importance. Uh, In fact, it's right there in the First Amendment. A free press is necessary to a democracy and we need to support our free press, but also our media has changed and changed a lot in the last few years in that, you know, news reporters, journalists used to be neutral and, you know, look, people can't help it. They're going to have opinions and they're going to, they're going to vote but but their personal opinions were not supposed to bleed into their work. Well, now, the the objective journalist is the rarity. Most of them are opinion journalists. So anyway, that was the that was the um <laughs> that was that was the, the what, what we were dealing with when I got on the line with Mickey Huff and Andy Lee Roth. Of Project Censored on Friday, um, knowing that we would run it today, so strap in because this this is a this is an interview with ups and downs and just a lot of uh, well you'll hear it for yourself. Uh, let's go as they say to the videotape. All right. I'm I'm happy to welcome uh, two guests to our show today that I haven't spoken with before, but I feel like we should have. Mickey Huff and Andy Lee Roth are here from Project Censored. Now, Mickey, you're the director and Andy, the co-director of Project Censored. Do I have that right? Yeah. Um, And can you tell me before we get into the meat of why we're talking today? Tell us about Project Censored. You've been around for a long time and you do important work, but a lot of people don't know who you are.
2: Sure. Um, I'll kick that off, Nicole. Andy and I are delighted to be here, so thanks for having us. Uh, Project Censored was founded in 1976 at Sonoma State University. It's uh, about an hour north of San Francisco, and it was founded by Carl Jensen, so someone that had a sort of background in newspapers, advertising, etc., and went into academia in midlife, um, and actually was behind the communications program there and taught communications and uh, sort of a sociology of media but the genesis of the project was was uh, Carl's questioning of media coverage around the um, uh, Watergate scandal after the 1972 election, and Carl fancied himself as a pretty news savvy uh, guy, and you know he he just saw how long it was taking for the news to come out, and you know went back and and took a look at like well why did it take so long to get some of these stories out and finding out then, of course, that there were other independent outlets uh, that were maybe reporting on even more scandals in the Nixon administration uh, before the Washington post story gained, gained the traction that it did. And that was really the, the basic question was, well, I thought I knew what the news was or I thought I was pretty well informed yet. Um, It took a while for me to catch on to this. And so that was a basic question he had that he took into the classroom and started asking his students, what else are we not finding out? So he would have students comb through all kinds of periodicals, journals, weeklies, you know, and this is back before there's an Internet. There's no Internet. There's no cable TV even yet. 1976. Mm -hmm. And so this was all by hand and by mail. Right. And the libraries and things. So uh, Carl had students look for important stories in the independent or alternative media and then have them go and look and see where were they in the establishment press and if they weren't there then they were on a candidate list for an underreported story um if uh, if they were on the list then okay that was a check mark and the 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 legacy media is doing its its job um of course it got more detailed as time went on and carl recruited expert judges academics journalists etc to vet stories um, but the whole part of this process, even though there wasn't a term yet, this is critical media literacy education. What Carl was really doing was teaching news literacy. And so Project Censored is unique in that regard in that we're actually an educational organization. Some people kind of look at us as a breaking news organization, but we talk more about the broken news <laughs> um, and then highlight news that we think really lives up to the free press principles we need to have meaningful civic engagement. So just you know, in a nutshell, there's a lot more to say, but I mean, just in a nutshell, that's how we were that's how we came into being and that's uh well we're coming up on almost 50 years in wow a couple of years.
0: and and my how times have changed uh, you know things changed. media our our modes of media have changed so much in the last 50 years um I, i'm going to start with the the thing that was going to be an aside but it, it, it's a natural segue here which is i'm fuming today we're taping this on early uh, friday afternoon and today is day two The second day in a row that the two so-called news 24 hour news cable channels, CNN and MSNBC, are both airing nonstop wall to wall coverage of a murder trial of a a former attorney in South Carolina who who obviously is a bad guy, but. You know, it's not like there's nothing else happening in the world today. The 24 hour news channels have abandoned covering the news to bring us this trial Uh, as something that should be on court TV. Right. Because now we have all those channels. Am I am I wrong to be a bit um, perturbed by this, that I can't get real news on the anniversary of Russia's invasion of uh, of Ukraine on the eve of a day that's been dubbed the National Day of Hate as Nazis are going around the country uh, harassing Jews? I mean, there's so many stories I can think of that they should be covering. And instead, we're seeing this murder trial.
1: Well, Mickey mentioned the, uh, Carl Jensen, the founder of Project Censored, who coined this, uh, this apt phrase, uh, Carl would talk about news inflation. And this is, um, this is Carl talking actually before the ad, you know, there, there was, it's, it's at the advent of the 24-7 news cycle, cable TV news, but before the uh, rise of the internet and online, um, platforms uh, carl talked about news inflation the idea that we have more and more of it but it seems to be worth less and less right we have right. a lot of what he likes to call junk food news sensational stories that distract us from things that might actually make a difference in our lives
0: if it bleeds um, it leads right
1: yeah the violence component is there but there's all kinds of violence that doesn't get covered um either so uh so i think you could think of project censored going back to your first question you could think of project censored as a concerted effort over you know since the 1970s to try to point people to stories that are worth worth their attention that are worth the time they'll take to read and digest Um, And so what we do is we we try to identify these stories. We vet them for their their trustworthiness, their significance, their importance. And then we put them out on our website and in an annual story list in um, our yearbook. Um, And we try to draw attention to both important stories that aren't getting the attention they deserve but also to some of the media dynamics some of the if you will the political economy of the establishment press that make it profitable for them to foist off a murder trial on us rather than substantive news about issues that affect all kinds of people across the country and around the world.
0: Well, exactly. But unfortunately, it's not sort of a it's either this or that I'm a perfect example is when I first bitched about this yesterday when I realized that they were carrying this trial for hours on end and I tweeted out something like uh, well so exactly what I tweeted I said who the fuck is Alex Murdoch and why do I care about his murder trial this is all MSNBC and CNN have to cover today really and somebody responded to me and said well it's either that or the train wreck and the first anniversary of the Ukraine war and I said, well, that's not that's not a good enough choice. There's mm. a million other stories. There are 24 hour cable news organizations. There are tons of stories. The fact that they default to those two, if they're not doing a murder trial, is also negligent, isn't it?
2: Well, it is in a lot of ways and it's, a, it's another form of censorship. And this is why at Project Sensory, we've always had a broad definition of censorship. It's not just prior restraint in terms of legal matters in the First Amendment. The the, the the spirit of censorship is alive and well in that news judgment selection of mm-hmm. the murder trial versus other stories. So Andy mentioned junk food news, which is a term Carl Jensen coined in, in early 1980s. Peter Phillips, the second director, a sociologist who took over uh, 97, he coined a term called news abuse. Which is where you take a a case. I mean, look, this trial is not a joke. No, right? It's it's a serious problem. But but it's a serious problem that is its own. It has its own sort of you know, interesting ecosystem. I mean, right. it's of interest. to You said court TV. And, it,
0: and it's well, of interest as a story, but not to, to eight no, no, hours no, no. a day. No, 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 no. There are, we could rattle off a
2: dozen other things that we should be talking about yes. that don't include Chinese balloons either. Right. Um, but the thing is, is that the, the media operate on a for-profit basis, the legacy press, the cable press, now big tech. And, you know, if they don't have people g- glued to their screen or sharing, clicking, liking, and sharing, they're losing ad dollars. They're, and that. That's not good for the shareholders. So at the core of what we analyze at Project Censored, our tagline, the news that didn't make the news and why, mm-hmm. right? We, we teach students how to think critically about the news. We don't tell them what to think or what source is the best source. Right. Right. We try to open up as many different sources across the spectrum as possible, and teach them how to critically analyze that. And we've done that in our in our many books, uh, our side projects, films, weekly radio show. I mean, we try to get this out in this curriculum out as far as possible, so that Nicole, people, <laughs> I, know, I know that it's not a great state to be in—you flummoxed and frustrated and so on. <laughs> but you see, you're attuned to those issues, that's right? And so they scream out to you. You notice them right away, that's right. A lot of other people maybe either don't notice or don't care or think, hey, they would never mislead us or you know, or, or worse, the cynical element, right? When cynicism sets in and people say, well, that's what I expect is just garbage all the right. time. Which is the and response that's I got. not a good way to be. We, we might encourage skepticism of, of sources and, and so forth and to, to, for people to ask questions. But when you get cynical and turn off, as many Americans are over half Americans aren't trusting any of these legacy sources, That's a real crisis. And critical media literacy is a way of putting um, news consumers, if you will, to lack a better term, in the driver's seat. So, you know, we need to start demanding better. And Andy and I, along with Steve Masick and Shaley Voidal and uh, professors across the country and hundreds of students, we go and look for those stories. And we they've already been published. Right. Mm -hmm. So they haven't been censored in some dystopian sense, right? But they've not gotten the attention that they truly deserve. And we hope by platforming them again, we hope people at the New York times or the Washington post as Ralph Nader used to say, he thinks everybody should have a censored book lying around the newsroom for those slow news days. So they can just troll through the first chapter and be like, wow, look at this. We've got twenty five stories we didn't cover
0: exactly, and you do you do you do each year the the top twenty five stories that got, were <laughs> undercovered so for instance, if you go to projectcensored dot org right now you'll find the twenty the top twenty five most censored stories from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two and um and yeah, they are important stories that Chances are maybe you've heard a little bit about, but certainly didn't get this kind of trait, the Murdoch treatment. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's astounding. But then on the other hand, you know, look, I'm mentioning CNN and MSNBC. I am a, you know, political progressive. I don't go to Fox. I don't consider Fox a news channel. But they call it news. They can only do that, by the way, because they're on cable. If they were over the air, they couldn't do that because they'd be under FCC jurisdiction and wouldn't be allowed to call themselves news when they actually make stuff up. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, 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 when we start talking about Fox, you get it really into the opposite world. I mean, the whole thing right now with uh, the new Speaker of the House Releasing forty-four thousand hours of Capitol surveillance video from January sixth to Tucker Carlson, and and, and using as his excuse, well, I said I'd get it out there. Everybody should be able to see this, but you're putting it through a filter that's not exactly an objective news source. So, and and then their their decision not to air the. January 6th here, you know, hearing everything there's a there's an issue now that didn't exist when Project Censored was founded, which is the definition of news, because if Fox can call what they do on cable news, then we have a real problem here. Well, we do have a problem here. So um, there, there are all those things. So the 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 top 25 stories of the year um, did, did, did this list just come out at the beginning of twenty three because twenty two had ended or is there another one on the way?
1: We're already working on the next story list so people can see not only this year's top twenty five story list for twenty twenty one twenty two on the project censored website, but you can also look there and find our validated independent news feature which are stories we're currently tracking for the the ongoing cycle what will be the next top 25 story list so Those are all available as we vet them and post them on ProjectSensor.org. So it's a year round process that involves, uh, as Mickey suggested, several hundred people, uh, college and university students across the country participating in the project's campus affiliates program and then our international panel of expert judges who help us ultimately vet and and uh, eventually uh, rank order um, the top 25 stories. Right. So it's I an do- ongoing process. Um, there is, uh, you, you know, ultimately we'd like to be uh, put out of business. If the corporate media would do their job and cover the stories, there would be no validated independent news stories for us to consider as candidates for the top 25, and we would happily go out of business. Um, but so far um, over 46, 47 years, um, there's never been a shortage of stories that the corporate news media have either blockaded altogether or failed to cover in an adequate way, and so we keep doing what we're doing.
0: Good. And I guess my next tweet when we're done will be to tweet at, again, Mm -hmm. MSNBC and CNN, because I've been suggesting stories, uh, you know, yesterday and today that they could be covering instead of just being lazy and flipping a switch and carrying this trial that, yeah, is interesting, but it's not worthy of eight hours of nonstop coverage on a news, 24-hour news channel. Um, Maybe I'll send them to Project Censored and say, take your pick. There's lots of stories you could be covering. So that that's my assignment for when we're done taping this interview. Again, we're speaking with Mickey Hoff and Andy Lee Roth of Project Censored. And the reason we're talking today is that um, uh, you've published an article that's, I guess, a, a long-form piece taken from a larger um, compendium of of works that you guys are doing. And this, this piece is about prior restraint, censorship by proxy, <clears throat> and the new digital gatekeeping. Here's another way we've changed. Yes, we have 24-7 uh, cable channels, but we also have the Internet, something we didn't even dream of back 50 years ago. And so maybe some people did, but... You know, I didn't. Um, and and you you point out the giants. You've got Alphabet, which owns Google and YouTube, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter. Those are the giants. And then there's tons of them besides. But what what you're talking about here is is also multifaceted, right? Um, it's the stories that they deem to be legitimate. And um, so dealing with that universe and then how they moderate the comments, right? Are are these basically the two areas that you're working with when you look at this subject?
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh, we can talk about, first of all, kind of a set of online digital restrictions. So these fall under various kind of names, uh, content moderation, um, community standards. Those are two that... Ordinary kind of people if you use the internet, you're familiar with notions of content moderation community standards. you may not be as as uh, aware of um, advertising block lists because the way they operate is intended to be invisible um, but all these amount to online restrictions in the free flow of information so that although the Internet appears to be this amazing resource. And in many ways, it is Um, information doesn't always flow freely across it. And that's especially true when we talk about information filtered through social media platforms like the ones you've described, Um, so that if I'm relying on, say, Facebook as a news source, um, the algorithm that shapes my Facebook feed is selectively highlighting and in effect binning um, all kinds of coverage. Uh, A lot of it may not even be news, but then among the news uh, that uh, I am going to see, the algorithm is selecting some and and burying um, uh, other kinds of content. And so we tend to think of, say, Google search as sort of a neutral tool Um, but it's not right. The Google the algorithm that um, responds when you query Google or some other search engine is has been built by humans and oftentimes their biases, human biases baked into that algorithm
0: exactly and there's not the word algorithm again all of a sudden this is in common lexicon where we you know years ago what 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 is that that's some computer term but now it really has a major impact on our lives, if you spend time on social media, it determines what you see and what you don't. Um, mm-hmm. And those, and now we're learning more about that, by the way, because this week we had two hearings at the Supreme Court dealing with the liability of these companies for comments that people may put on their platforms or well, I guess what they choose to disseminate. Can they be held liable for it? And again, there's a definition of what is a media company. Um, a lot of this has to be reexamined because the whole landscape has changed right yeah our
2: our our legal culture of course is slow to keep up with all of these things right um you know it's kind of uh it's in many ways it's uh it's kind of like the old Jonathan Swift quote about the, a lie getting halfway around the world, right? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? So uh, we have a hard time keeping up with all of these te- technological changes that are now in the media ecosystem. And over half of Americans admit to getting news from social media platforms. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic. And this is why it's also a critical media literacy education question and a news literacy matter, that we need to address uh, the, these things. Um, th- there's a move. There's a push. Uh, uh, Ron said Governor DeSantis in Florida is one of them. That they're pushing for, to overturn, uh, you know, New York v. Sullivan. They're, they're trying to overturn that so that they can shut down. Big money can shut down. Uh, what goes on in news and, and people, journalists will be uh, not just journalists, but the outlets, right, will be less likely to stick their necks out and cover something for fear that they'll be sued into oblivion.
0: I live, so, uh, I'm I'm in, I live in florida uh your am i live in florida not for long <laughs> not for long we're moving because of um, this governor he uh, is uh, it's frightening what's going on down here and that's just one of many stories but that obviously pertains to what we're discussing today um you, you know censorship you, this article we're talking about is about censorship by proxy this man wants to censor everything, if you're not, it's like Trump before him, if you're not complimentary of if you're me a news person you're an objective reporter and and that's another area we can get into because used to be all journalists were supposed to be objective and now it's that's not so much the case anymore but if you are one of those objective journalists um, if you even hint of something critical of the administration you get blackballed you can only have access if you're with us, if you're not with us, you're against us. And and he has no qualms in saying, as the former guy, you're the enemy of the people. Now, when the mm-hmm. press is being called the enemy of the people, that's fascism. I mean, that that brings back memories from before I was born, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: I mean, Mickey and I have written some about that uh, at the time when uh when uh, the president was using language like that to vilify the press, to stir up public uh, sentiment against the press and distrust that the kind of um, weaponization of the notion of fake news um, to be used as a blunt tool to dismiss anything that uh, disagreed with the president's own idiosyncratic sense of reality um and we know we know that that kind of language has real world consequences for journalists. Um, the. US press freedom tracker uh, documents meticulously all the ways in which journalists are harassed, assaulted. Um, and sometimes even killed for yep. doing their jobs, not just overseas. This, uh, we have a tendency to think American exceptionalism includes, oh, uh, journalists are only attacked overseas. No, uh, but the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker and the Committee to Protect Journalists documented that. Um, in the uh, 2016 presidential election cycle and also in the aftermath of the George uh, the killing of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter protests that some of the most dangerous uh, reporting jobs in the world were um, U.S. reporters covering um, election campaign and BLM protests um, where they were subject to Uh, assault, having their equipment damaged, uh, detention and arrest, um, not only at the hands of law enforcement, but at the hands of uh, of citizens. And this was also obviously on display in January 6th, the assault on the Capitol, um, where um, there were nooses and graffiti. um, uh, Uh, directed as uh, symbolic threats against members of the press and a number of uh, uh, reporters with visible badges uh, press ids had their equipment damaged or were otherwise harassed you know and that
0: even started in ferguson Mm -hmm. i remember reports of Mm -hmm. reporters on the ground in ferguson with visible press everywhere being attacked by the police saying and and that put up a Huge warning signs like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. we've entered a different era here.
1: Yeah, this so just- that's a form that's a form of, of, uh, that's an indirect form when it's law enforcement, that's an indirect form of government censorship. Mm-hmm. Um, because of course, law enforcement are ultimately mm-hmm. uh, uh, government officials, be it local, that's right. n- state, federal. Um, uh, entities. Um, so that's a That's uh, uh, Heidi Bogosian, who wrote the foreword to the state of the free press 2023, our most uh, recent yearbook, writes about this um, as one of the most dangerous developments in recent time for the state of a free press in the United yeah. States. And I think her analysis is essentially correct on this.
2: So very quickly uh, to add to that, uh, uh, over 80% of the attacks after George Floyd against the press were committed by law enforcement agents. And this just happened a couple of weeks ago in East Palestine, Ohio. Yep. an African-American reporter was thrown to, was you know thrown to the ground and, and arrested and eventually released. Uh, but you know when the when the body cam went on and, and the audio could be heard, you could hear him saying I'm from the press, I have a right to be here. I have a right to be here um you know we haven't heard a lot of follow-up about some of that story, but uh, I fortunately or unfortunately grew up you know less than an hour from wow. there. Um, and so I have family there, I know people there and I know folks are trying to go there and see what's going on. And there's a very sort of draconian kind of lockdown thing going on, uh, around those stories and those issues. Um, and those are the threats that, that, that really put a chilling effect on journalists, right? Journalists pay very close attention to what happens to them, to each other. Sure. And when they see these kind of things happening, especially if they see it happening to high profile journalists, they they don't want to they don't want to they don't they don't want to have to risk their lives to do their job many of them do but that's not something that they relish when they get up in the morning to be like i wonder
0: you know if i'm going to come home at night Mm -hmm. you know that's not what being a journalist is supposed to be about no no Uh, but again we live in we live in a different time again i never thought i would hear an american president call the free press enemy of the people. So you're up against a major hurdle here that we didn't have to deal with before. And Now, though all the public opinion polls show a, a huge distrust in our news media more than ever before. Now, before all of this, I was always critical of the media, mostly because I didn't think they were doing their job, because Project Censored exists, because you do list all these stories <clears throat> that they either ignore, or they deem not important enough, or they just don't they don't cover; they ignore. Um, so I was critical of them on that front. So I'm I'm not going to say, oh, the American media is uh, unimpeachable, but not for the reasons that Donald Trump and the 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 right wingers, his followers, are saying. It's a different type of distrust. I wouldn't even call it distrust. I'd say, you know, it's like when lit- listeners get mad at me because I criticize the Democrats. I do it but it's constructive criticism. I don't do it to diss them. I'm not bashing them. I'm doing it because I want them to be better, right? I want the media to do their jobs. That's why I'm bitching on Twitter about CNN and MSNBC today. So uh, I mean, you guys Project Censored, you're doing the work. You're calling them out. You're saying these are stories that are legitimate that you could be covering. But how do we get the public opinion to get in line here? How did how do we get them to realize what's happening?
1: Let me address that. But first, go backwards a moment and say, um, I I think you hit on a a important but delicate point. We need to be critical of our news media. But we can't be dismissive of our news media.
0: There you go. Yeah. Right.
1: And there's a there's a difference. So uh, when Donald Trump calls uh, the press the enemy of the people, he's simply flat out wrong, and those are ir- those are deeply irresponsible um, statements by someone with his public stature. Um, but as um, uh, Mickey and my uh, colleague Steve Masek uh, and I have written about in a piece that came out in Truthout a couple years ago, it's true that the corporate media is biased, but not in the way that right wingers say. Right. Right. Um, and the idea here is that a lot of discussion about media is uh, a lot of the public discourse about our media is focused on is there a liberal bias? Is there a conservative bias? Um, And there is a time and a place for that kind of conversation. But if you have a critical media literacy perspective, if you look at it as I do as a sociologist who studies the news, there is a deeper level of organization to the corporate media that is never touched by those debates. And that is the corporate media's preference for official sources Mm -hmm. and and the idea that the corporate media basically have a bureaucratic understanding of the world, right? They understand the world through the views of corporate officials and government officials and and the corporate media is not a mainstream uh, outlet in the sense that it doesn't reflect the ordinary the views and interests of ordinary americans it reflects uh official official lines an official worldview that is is heavily driven by uh government and and corporate interests and that's where uh this article uh in terms of censorship by by proxy tries to begin to pry that dynamic open right um So Mickey and our co-author Abram Anderson and I write about censorship by proxy as involving restrictions on freedom of information that are undertaken in this case by private corporations. So this is the kind of algorithmic censorship that we were talking about a moment ago um that those restrictions exceed what the government could legitimately get away with under first amendment uh, protections of freedom of the press and freedom of expression um but the, the kicker on censorship by proxy is that these restrictions undertaken by private corporations serve both corporate and either government or other third party interests.
0: OK, I, right? I, I, I've got to, I've got to jump in here because we have the perfect example that un, was uncovered this week with or last week with the Dominion filing against Fox, not news. We're seeing text messages there. Um, they are putting out disinformation, not just false information, but disinformation. They're doubling down on Trump's lies, even though they know their lies. They know they call themselves news <clears throat> and they are backing up Trump's assertions that the election was stolen. They're putting on witnesses who they know are or witnesses, guests who they know are lying. Uh, Sydney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, you name the names and, and their text messages back it up. You know, they're, they know they're lying and they let them spew these lies regardless on the most watched cable so-called news channel that's out there. Um, and their reasoning is we're losing audience to the other channel who's telling them that they want to hear and not the truth. So we need to give them more of what they want to hear and not the truth and are stuck is going down. Our stock prices are going down and we need to stop this now.
2: Well, <laughs> Notice how you didn't say anything about news really. Uh, <laughs> you talked about a lot of business problems. That's and right. You know, decisions about what propaganda to catapult and so on and so forth. Um, but look, uh, you know, Fox News was founded by Roger Ailes, you know, Rupert Murdoch is a business person that has an agenda, just by the way, like do most of these, all these other networks, right? You know, like we saw Les Moonvez at CBS uh-huh. before the 2016 election saying Donald Trump may not be good for America, but That's he's good damn for good business. for CBS. yeah. yeah. You know, that's the problem. And Andy, you know, mentioned that again, you know, earlier, and it goes back to the propaganda model about how ownership, advertising, reliance on elite sources, flack and ideology shape and frame the news, not in the best interest of the American public, but in the best interest of the owners and their allies in the corporate capitalist ownership class in the establishment and in the political order and among lobbyists. And many of our stories every year reflect that dynamic, because also, as Andy alluded to, one of the things the corporate media are really terrible at is covering their own issues uh, internally and how that's happening. And this is blowing up in Fox's face right now. Mm-hmm. And they're very worried about this, rightfully yes, so. They be. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to go over to the other side just very quickly. And I don't want to uh, you know, open up the whole can of worms that is the ego of Elon Musk or whatever is happening at Twitter. <laughs> but some of the stuff that's going on with the Twitter files, and oh. let's not pretend all the Twitter files are created equal because they're not. But certain of the Twitter files are showing extraordinarily very, very disturbing collusion between Democrats, federal agencies, intelligence agencies, law enforcement agencies, and Twitter, and censorship and suppression of key voices, whether it was during COVID or other topics, and that is also a real issue.
0: It is, but uh, but also the way they're being released is very one-sided, and, it is and Matt an Taibbi, issue. who I used to revere as a journalist, has gone over to the dark side because well, he's not respectfully being honest. Disagree with
2: you. I respect I disagree with okay. you. I understand what Matt is trying to do. And I understand he wrote the foreword to our 21 book. Um, and we actually have referenced him numerous times because he's fallen out of the graces of the liberal press. Mm hmm. While he's simultaneously allegedly being called, the Washington Post smeared him by calling him a conservative and then stealthily retracted it online. Mm -hmm. And Taibbi's neither, right? Taibbi is going after stories that the corporate media won't cover for whatever reason. And I I don't care what people say about Taibbi or what they say about Musk. I care about what is in the information that's being released that shows that there is censorship happening behind the scenes. And that should be the story. But then it should Shouldn't those,
0: shouldn't those Twitter files be given to other journalists as well to yes, comb absolutely. through? absolutely. Like I've been publicly like the, critical. Like like like, a McCarthy, like, Ma, like McCarthy, like McCarthy giving the the video tapes to to mm-hmm. Tucker yes. Carlson. And Sorry, both that's can be not. True. Right.
2: Both things can be true. I have criticized Musk. I have been critical of Taibbi's work with Musk, but I have also been critical about what the information in those files says. We can walk and chew gum. At but the I don't same think time. we're getting
0: the full picture there. I think we're getting uh, the picture through the well, Musk directed eyes of Matt Taibbi, who to me has fallen off the well, wagon. How is
2: that different than the way corporate media report? On it isn't. It's
0: just a different filter. Right. The
2: problem is, is that it's all being filtered. And that's why I brought this up. That's why I brought it up. And it depends who the
0: filters are. Right.
2: Project Censored is not Republican. It's not Democrat. We're not right. We're not left. We're right and wrong. We're, where are the facts? Where are the transparent sources? What stories are being suppressed? Which ones are based on factual evidence? And which ones do we really need to hear in our society? And the fact of the matter is, is the corporate media doesn't do a fantastic job of it. Yeah. And we need to really expand our media diets to get independent information and to get it out to the public and let the public begin to decide what good journalism looks like. Andy and I wrote a piece several months ago uh, on what would happen if journalism died or disappeared right and that concept is that it isn't really like what people maybe see or think or are trained to see as news has become far less news like but that doesn't mean that there are not great independent outlets still doing good journalism and at Project Censored our job is to help catapult or um, platform those or replatform them to amplify those messages to tell the American public that wait Journalism is in crisis, but there are people doing really good journalism and we need to turn off corporate media if they can't be reformed and we need to look to these other independent alternative voices, even though we may know they have biases and filters. We need to expand those and, and try to get as, as many of those perspectives as possible so that the public can decide what's actually happening.
0: Exactly. And, and I'll tell you something. My show is a prime example. I've been at this for a long, long time. I, I come from music radio. But before that, I produced talk radio in New York a million years ago. I produced right-wing Bob Grant, right-wing talk radio when I was mm-hmm. a child. Um, and then I was on Air America. Now I'm online. I'm doing my own thing. And here's the thing. I say it up front, I'm not a journalist. I don't break stories, but I, I pride myself on knowing the facts and doing the research and reporting fact based information. Yes, I come from the left. I am a very progressive. I have opinions and I state them as opinions. And I say that sometimes I'm, I may even be wrong. This is my opinion. This is how I feel. And and if I get something wrong, I rush in to correct it that's how it should be if you're not you know but but where i'll say i'm not a journalist i don't hear the people at fox saying that now your article um it talks about the the demise of rt russia today the television um you know and it was done by proxy that that the government didn't shut them down but direct tv and roku and all the other outlets did okay Keeping that not not passing judgment on that one way or another. Obviously, that's not how it should have been done. Maybe if 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 conservatives really felt honestly about what, what they say they do, the market should decide that. If if they can't survive, then they go out of business. But but Fox mm-hmm. now with these revelations that we've seen in the in the um, uh, Dominion filings, um, should they not be held accountable for? for propagating these lies for calling themselves news and pushing out blatant lies i i did this a few years ago they 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 didn't want it but i'll i'll still offer it
1: your original source for fake news fox news we make shit up
0: you know, it's more honest now than anything they do, but you know uh, I think they should not be allowed to do what they do, but I guess we have to change the regulations and put cable under FCC jurisdiction in order to make them to have them be held accountable
1: and have an FCC with teeth yeah um, well, we might add good luck but yeah I mean I think I think going to the Dominion lawsuit uh, uh, the internal memos and texts and things that are co- coming out now. Uh, uh, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal expert. Uh, there are very high standards for winning a defamation case. Um, but those internal memos indicating they, you know, they're basically saying we know Trump is full of it, but we're going to run this anyway. Right. Um, I would like to believe that any judge and jury that heard this case and saw that evidence would say, this fits the, the very high standards of a defamation case. Yeah. Um, so and, so uh, they're being sued
0: for one point six billion dollars. They may very well lose and probably should. But they there's still nothing stopping them from right. going on cable because it's cable calling themselves news and disseminating lies. So, I
1: mean, I think we have to come at this from a different angle then right the business powers uh, the the business forces at work here the economic uh uh power in play is is one side of it that that gives huge weight to the production side of whatever we want to call the content produced by fox news Uh, there's also the the demand side right and i think we can we can be perhaps as if not more hopeful about trying through critical media literacy education to convince people that Fox Fox may be great to go to if you wanna be sort of entertained in a certain way. Right. But if you're interested in learning what's actually happening, Fox is an extremely poor source of, of, of information and, and arguably of perspective as well because of the narrow range uh, represented. Um, but, the, but the key there is cultivating, I think, uh, you know, dare I say, like a more sophisticated taste. And that's not just a problem for Fox News viewers. I, I think that's a problem that the American public as a whole n- needs to confront about itself. Um, that, the you know, uh, critical media scholars talk about the idea of news snacking and the idea that we don't really... Um, consume news in in a in a focused way anymore. It's the difference between sitting down to the table to have mm-hmm. dinner and munching on chips while you're okay. doing something else. Right. And so a lot of us are now the way we see news is as we're scrolling through a feed That's right. while we're waiting in line at the supermarket or mm-hmm. or, you know, sitting on the toilet or whatever yeah, it whatever. is. Um, and and that kind of attention is both a product of the shoddy sort of news we're given, and, but it also reinforces and empowers that kind of shoddy reporting. So let's look at both sides of that, right? If you think about it on on um, the demand side, if if there wasn't demand for, you know, wall-to-wall coverage of a murder trial- Yeah, it wouldn't show profit- it, right these for-profit operations would turn their attention elsewhere right so some of it comes back to us as in effect Mickey used the term news consumers a little while ago. some of it does come back to us as consumers and yeah. not demanding more high quality news and not calling out the BS when we see it. Yeah. Um, that's I true think the other the other thing the other thing there is like a lot of news in my opinion is designed to disengage us.
0: Hmm. Yeah, or maybe to make us
1: angry, but inactive, right? Nothing I'm you rude, can do about gonna, this,
0: right? Here's what's I'm going rude, on. But, what I'm, I'm,
1: but I'm so overcome by cynicism that I think there's nothing to do except be angry. Right. Um, and I think that is that is one of the propaganda aims, the propagandistic aims of a lot of what passes as news, not just on Fox, but on the corporate news media in general. Right. It's not intended to engage us as community members or as citizens. Right. Um, It's intended to make us angry and it's intended to spur us to act as uh, consumers of goods and services. And so uh, I think you know i would act when i was teaching sociology of news i would ask my students what news outlets they paid attention to and a lot of them would answer honestly and say well not really not really any um, professor andy uh-huh. <laughs> right i don't pay attention to news and i'd say well why not and they'd say well it's too depressing oh god and i'd say maybe you're looks maybe you're following the wrong kind of news right yes. and so you know without taking us down a different pathway for instance solutions journalism uh, provides robust examples of communities and people coming together to address systemic social problems. You won't find a lot of solutions journalism in corporate news on the networks, on the cable stations, even in the big papers. You may find the light version of solutions journalism there, but you won't find the kind of reporting that you're going to get from independent news outlets. Why not? Well, if we actually had stories about people coming together together and organizing to address the problems that confront them, the systemic problems that confront them, more people might be inspired to act and more people might learn about the possibilities to get involved. And that could be revolutionary. Um, um, But you don't see that in the corporate news, the so-called mainstream news. And I think that's not a coincidence. I think that's, uh, that's because of one one of the fundamental aims of the of corporate news, as it's defined in narrow terms, that news is is by and about people who are elites, right? Um, that's intended to put us in the role of passive bystanders, hmm. right? And that's not what democracy is. No, right. No. Robust democracy doesn't involve passive bystanders. So that that form of news is ultimately counter democratic. But the key thing is that's not the only kind of news we have access to, right? Part of Project Censored's work is to call out the corporate news media when they fail to provide us the kind of news and information that we need to be active and engaged in our communities and as citizens. But the other side of it is celebrating the important and good work of independent investigative journalists who do bring us that kind of news. And to try to create a a more public demand for and trust in independent news outlets
0: you know and there are many of them and i try to feature them here marcy wheeler of empty net is is does work like nobody i know she's always one of my favorite guests brad friedman the bradcast and brad blog there are and there are journalists i'm a i i'm an, a talk show host i talk about the news but i i ingest it and and take every precaution to make sure i'm disseminating fact and when Mm -hmm. something's an opinion i label it an opinion and much of what i do is opinion but it's all based in fact and you know when i talk when you hear you guys talking about you know the the this is designed this way all i can think of is the trump quote i love the poorly educated because that's Mm -hmm. what they aim for Anyway, you guys, we could keep going for hours, and we've taken it. We've gone almost an hour here. This has been a fascinating discussion, and I thank you so much for it and the work you're doing at Project Censored. So I invite everyone; you should go there, ProjectCensored.org. Mickey Hoff and Andy Lee Roth, thank you so much. This has been a great discussion, and I really appreciate it. There you go. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Yeah, we could have kept going, but you know, the clock was getting to the end of the hour couple more things really quick. Um, it's in What's News today, which I play at the end of the show after we're off the air at, at Progressive Voices. Um, and that is that uh, the um, uh, Howie Kurtz does a media show like he used to do on CNN. He now does it on Fox. He has been told he is not allowed to cover this story. He is not allowed to. To cover the story on Fox. And the people that watch Fox aren't hearing it. Move on. Remember MoveOn.org? Well, they produced a spot with the quotes from the different texts that were in the Dominion filing and fought and tried to run it on Fox, and Fox refused to air it. Therein lies the problem, my friends. Therein lies the problem. And it's a big one. And we're not going to fix it until we get a government who's not afraid to bring back some regulations. Like the Fairness Doctrine, which was effectively killed by Ronald Reagan. So, you know, yes, what I agree with them on for sure is we need to seek out other media outlets. So please tell your friends about this show and the others that I promote. Okay, Uh, come on over and help support the work we do because nobody else does that's the other ugly little secret that the the liberals the the left the money people on the left and make no mistake there are money people on the left they do not support our media on the right they do they give lots of money to every asshole who does a podcast I'm telling you, I could have gotten the money. Uh, years ago, I was offered a job on a right-wing radio station, but I'd have to change my politics. Many did it before me. I couldn't. I wouldn't, but I couldn't even if I wanted to. I just don't go there. You know when I'm lying. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. All right. Tomorrow, Gotta Laugh is here. She's back, and the, the studio will work. I promise. All right. Um, I'll leave you with the news. I I promise. You know how much I can promise that, right? Well, I promise as much as I can. All right. Here's the news. Tomorrow, Laffy. All right. See ya. Bye.
1: It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network.
0: Welcome to the Working Week. Congress is back, sort of. House Democrats kick off their annual retreat in Baltimore on Wednesday, the same day that the 2023 CPAC circus gets underway, also in Maryland. But I guess that's better than in Viktor Orban's Hungary, like they did last May. On Tuesday, President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan goes before the Supreme Court. Millions of people with loan debt could see up to $20,000 of their debt canceled, depending on the outcome of the hearing. But we won't get an answer right away. Typically, the justices release their rulings by the end of the term, late June, maybe even early July. But this ruling will also determine when payments on federal student loans will resume after the pandemic-related pause that's been in place for nearly three years now. The justices are expected to hear arguments in two cases on Tuesday concerning the program, which is estimated to cost $400 billion. On Wednesday, Attorney General Merrick Garland will testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Just FYI. Moving on, does your crazy uncle Eddie still say climate change is a hoax? Well, tell that to the tens of thousands of customers in the greater Los Angeles area who were without power this weekend. As a rare winter storm battered the region with rain and snow, a system that triggered the area's first blizzard warning since 1989, the storm flooded areas near sea level with downtown Los Angeles seeing the most single day rain almost two and a half inches in 20 years. It brought powder to the surrounding foothills, dropping the snow line from around 3000 feet to 1000 Nearby mountain communities were blanketed with multiple feet of snow. Mountain High Resort, which is about 50 miles from downtown Los Angeles, but about 7,000 feet elevation, recorded a whopping seven feet of snow. But it wasn't only Southern California. And brace yourselves, there's more on the way. A barrage of snow, rain, and harsh winds is forecast from the West Coast all the way to the Great Lakes on Monday. Approximately 284,000 homes and businesses were without power across the country as of Monday morning, about half of which were in Michigan, where the region is bracing for another round of ice and snow. More than 100 other storm reports were recorded in parts of the central U.S. as hurricane force winds and thunderstorms tore through various states overnight. A gust of 114 miles per hour was recorded in Texas. That's equivalent to a Category 3 hurricane. Meanwhile, the West is again expecting a separate system of rain and high-elevation snow that'll push from the Pacific Northwest down into California, where some of those rare blizzard warnings remain in effect. What's the old saying? Batten down the hatches? Stay safe out there. Now, with Congress returning from last week's recess, three House and two Senate committees will focus on that February 3rd train derailment and fire in rural East Palestine, Ohio, which has, of course, turned into a huge political issue as well. The Biden administration is stepping up its outreach efforts there and issuing a timeline detailing what's been done on the federal level since the February 3rd accident. Biden ordered officials from the EPA, CDC, and FEMA to go door-to-door over the weekend. They did. They contacted more than 350 families with the goal of reaching 400 of them by today. And Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who's come under heavy criticism over the administration's handling of the incident, has also called on Congress to boost fines for rail operators guilty of safety violations. Some one8 million gallons of liquid waste and 4,832 cubic yards of solid waste have been removed from that toxic derailment site. This according to the Office of Governor Mike DeWine. Concerns are now emerging about where the waste will go after officials said it would be processed at two EPA-certified sites in Ohio. Meanwhile, officials in Texas and Michigan recently complained that they didn't receive any warning that some of that waste from the crash would be shipped into their jurisdictions for disposal. Speaking of toxic materials, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the Energy Department has concluded with, quote, low confidence that the coronavirus pandemic probably started with a leak from a lab in Wuhan, China. The Energy Department had previously been undecided on the likely origin of the pandemic, and the shift was described in an update of a 2021 document by the Director of National Intelligence Averill Haynes' office. Now, the FBI also concluded with moderate confidence that the pandemic likely started from a leak from that Chinese lab. But four other agencies and a national intelligence panel have said the first outbreak was likely caused by natural transmission from an animal. Here we go again. By the way, two other agencies, including the CIA, remain undecided. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on Sunday told CNN, quote, the federal government does not yet have an official stance on the origins of COVID-19. There is not a definitive answer that has emerged across the entire intelligence community, he said, and added that president Biden has directed repeatedly every element of our intelligence community to put effort and resources behind getting to the bottom of this question. Alrighty then over at the Fox not news channel, Howie Kurtz, who anchors a weekly show on the media, said he has been told not to cover the $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit filed against Fox by Dominion Voting Systems. I
1: believe I should be covering it. It's a major media story, given my role here at Fox. But the company has decided that as
0: part of the organization being sued, I can't talk about it or write about it, at least for now. I strongly disagree with that decision, but as an employee, I have to abide by it. And if that changes, I'll let you know. And finally, newspapers across the country have dropped the Dilbert comic strip over the weekend after the creator of the cartoon went on a racist tirade on his podcast, calling black Americans a hate group and suggesting that white people should, quote, get the hell away from them. Scott Adams confirmed on his YouTube channel that his comic was being dropped and then said he had expected that to happen. Well, then why out yourself as a racist, you bigot? Oh, and of course, Scott Adams is still on Twitter, Because Elon Musk sided with him and accused the media of being racist against whites and Asians. You can't make this stuff up. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener supported and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com and please click on that donate button
1: hope and resilience in Ukraine a year after the brutal Russian invasion.
0: On one hand, Mm. Ukrainians are bracing this morning, Christine, for more uh, Russian strikes. That's what the head of Ukraine's military intelligence.